0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Fab, okay, brilliant. Um, I wonder if, I, had, I asked a Lauren and a Jeff to do some things, um, but they, they've both, oh here, Lauren's running. Go Lauren, Go. Maybe, Elle, you can be my Jeff. Would that be okay before you sit down? Um, So I couldn't think of a good object. I'd normally try and have something to like... I'm quite a kinesthetic learner, so I tend to like touching stuff if I'm trying to learn things. Um, The only thing I could think of was tent pegs today. If you know the story, you'll know why. And I thought that was a bit gross. So instead, we made some stickers. Um, If you're the sort of... Maybe you want to put that on your journal. Maybe if you're responding to God, put them on you. If if that's a bit out there for you, just put them in your bag. Take them home. That's fine. No one's going to ditch you. So we are at the third of our series um, in the book of Judges. And essentially, we've been looking at this kind of cyclical thing that the Israelites do uh, during the early part of their settling in this land that God's given them. They do the wrong thing. God says, "Okay, here's a consequence for that. They get oppressed by another nation. They cry out to God for help. And then God says, "Okay, I'm going to send you a deliverer. And he sends them a person, a flawed person, who nevertheless has the real power of God to rescue the people in that time. Okay, we're not going to hear a different story today. I'm sorry if you've come like, let's get something new. No, they do exactly the same thing again. But the story does tell us something new about this cycle and how we can navigate it well. In fact, there's loads of things to pull out of this story. Um, but I'm going to focus today on a specific thing. And I'm going to talk about obedience. Right, everyone's favourite topic. Aren't you glad you came? We've touched on this before, actually, especially during our Matthew series in January. But if we want to see Jesus doing wonderful kingdom things, then we probably need to do what he asks us to do, right? If we want to help someone do what they're doing, we probably need to do what they say. And I've called this talk, Obedient Agents for the Justice of God, because essentially, that's who the judges that we see today are. That's what they're doing. So why don't we have a read? We'll start off with chapter 4 and we'll read verses 1 to 7 to start with. You can read it in your Bible um, or it'll come up on the screen in the NIV version if you want to read it. Okay, Judges 4 verse 1. Again, you can hear the frustration, can't you, in the writer's voice? Again. The Israelites did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now the Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried out to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. These are all places in Israel. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, go. Okay, first point we want to make then about obedience. Obedience is necessary for leadership. If you want to lead, you need to do what God says in his kingdom. And good leadership is necessary for group obedience. Okay, now we kind of know that, don't we? In our own families or schools or at work or wherever it is, if our leaders are rubbish and difficult, and don't do it well, or don't do the right things, it's really hard to follow them, and it's really hard to have a good culture. Anyone worked in a place like that? You don't have to nod if I'm... Yeah, there we go. <laughs> you don't have to nod if you feel you were not want to get your boss in trouble, that's okay. Um, exactly the same thing happens with Israel. Ehud, the leader, the judge dies, and when he does, the people go off, and they do the wrong thing again, okay, until Deborah comes along. Good leadership is important, or it's really hard for a community to do the right thing. Now, I appreciate there are about 100 or us here. Many of us are going to have different understandings from the Bible on the topic of women and leadership. I'm just going to touch on it, because at Vineyard we kind of do it, but we don't talk about it very much. So I'm just going to talk about it for a sec. If you are all for it, all of the time, it's worth noting that Deborah is the only female judge out of 12, okay, in this book. If you don't think, if you're on the other side of the thing from wherever you've come from, and you don't think women should ever lead, I think you probably need to deal with the fact that there's no difference in the word for judging and leading. It's exactly the same word. It might be translated differently in your Bible. exact same word is used for the men. Additionally, the writer of this story goes to some lengths to describe what leadership looks like, doesn't he? Deborah was a prophet, so that means she hears from God and then has to go tell other people what God said and help them make decisions based on it. She's also... Judging differences and disputes between people. Did you pick up that bit? So she sits under a specific tree, in a specific place, and then if a couple of people have a problem, maybe a dispute over land or money or whatever else people fall out about, they can't solve it, their families can't help them, the neighbours get involved, the clan get involved, and no one can solve it and work it out, then they have to go to this place and they ask Deborah for her wisdom. And she asks God, and she helps them solve their problem, and her judgment will stand with those people. Now, those are leadership roles. They're not one single issue or a battle. That's the same role that Moses had, for example, in Exodus. Deborah's got a level of ultimate authority in Israel at that time, under God, and that's what it says, I believe. So why am I talking about leadership? Who here is a leader? What do you think? Give me a little wave. Okay, some of you are very sure about that, Jeff. Well done. <laughs> uh, okay. In your school or your university, do you lead a group or a club or a little team, or are you just the person that your friends come to for advice or to settle their problems? Give me a little wave if that's you. In the workplace, do you lead a team or do you have influence over people? Do people come to you for advice at all? Give me a wave. Yes, yeah, some of you are nodding. Aren't you? That's you. That's leadership. That's starting. oh, that is you. How about in your home? Do you solve the disputes between your housemates? Are you that person? I'm sorry if you are, well done. Mm -hmm. Do you have a parenting role for somebody? Again, well done. (laughs) Do you lead in church, like a small group or a youth group or a band or a team? Okay, if any of those were you, can you just give me a little wave? Interesting, right? Have a look round. That's pretty much all of us, actually. Some of you might just be being modest. I would argue, and this is the first sticker that you've hopefully been given, that we are all Christians, are called to be leaders in those ways to people around us. 1 Peter says that we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, called to proclaim the glory of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's our, that's our, kind of, that's our manifesto, wherever we're going, whatever we're doing, that we get to be positive influences for the kingdom, there's a leadership thing on all of us, whether or not we have that title in our, in our job or wherever. And actually the extent to which we get to do that will depend on our obedience and our following of Jesus. Do we seek God? Like Deborah, do we ask for that prophetic gift and then take time to listen and do what God says? It's a bit like Google Maps, I always think God is. The more we listen, the more right turns that we take, the less he has to recalculate, as mine often does for me the more we get to follow the best route and end up where he wants us to go. So obedience to God is key to leadership. And actually, like we talked about in our last series, if what you want is a leadership position, like in this church, for example, we'll start to talk to you about that. How far along is your obedience to God? That won't be our first question out the box when you walk in the door. But if you come and say, I want to lead a small group, I want to step up, then we'll start to have that conversation really gently with each other. Now, Barak is called to lead the people into battle. Did you see that? But actually, he fails the obedience test. So I've just spent five minutes talking about how obedience is important for leadership. Barak mucks it up. Like, really obviously, and it's in the Bible. Isn't that fun? Um, To read for thousands of years for everybody. We'll read from verse 6. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun. Those are a couple of the tribes and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I, that's God speaking through Deborah, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the river Kishon and give him into your hands. Okay, verse eight, Barak says, no. Um, If you need a tweet to take home, don't do that. If God says, go, say, I'm off, pack a bag and go. Barak says, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. So he doesn't quite say no, he says if. Okay, and he makes it about Deborah. Certainly, I'll go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, the two tribes, and 10,000 men went up under his command, Deborah also went with him. It's interesting, because I think if you read this, and maybe this, I, I am British, and maybe that's how we read it, some people want to say that Barak is faithful and humble. He doesn't go, yes, I can do this. He asks Deborah to go with him. God has asked me to do that, but actually I think I need some help. Now, that might sound like humility, but it's not quite obedience, is it, actually? And it's clearly not the answer Deborah's expecting, Because his reaction provokes something different in her. She doesn't go, oh, well done, yes, you're absolutely right, you do need help. She says, actually, God wanted to honour you and celebrate you for doing that and he would have helped you do it. But since you're actually needing my help instead, then a woman is going to get the honour of killing Sisera. We'll come to the fact that that's a bit different to how things we might want to celebrate later. Now, it's not clear. Obviously, the text doesn't say why Barak did that. Was he just afraid? Some commentators have drawn a parallel with Exodus 33, which if you know way, way back earlier in the Bible, Moses refuses to take the people of God around without God going with them. He's like, I'm not going to move, God, unless you come with me. And maybe that helps us with the problem, actually. Barak doesn't ask God to go with him. He doesn't immediately pray or say, hey, God, I need some help. I'm worried. He doesn't trust that God's going to be with him either because... God's just said he'll fight for him. He doesn't trust that. Barak wants Deborah there instead as reassurance, doesn't he? And so it might be that what he's doing is trusting the person in front of him, this wise prophetic leader that he's talking to, instead of trusting that God's called him to do something and God's going to help him with. Do you see the difference? Okay. And this is really interesting because I think obedience is often based on whether we trust somebody. It's really hard to obey someone, like we said about leadership that we don't trust. Now, I wonder what it is that God might be asking us to do, whether you're aware that there's a no that you've kind of said or an if that you've got going on. Maybe God's asking you to do something, and you're like, well, yes, but only if I know you're going to provide for me financially or for my family. Or yes, as long as it doesn't damage my reputation and none of my friends will ever laugh at me. I'll ask Jeff about that later, or you can. (laughs) For some of us, or or maybe it's a yes, but only if I'm part of a team, only if I can sort of hide among some other people who are doing it as well. For some of us, maybe for all of us actually, I think God wants us to do some hard stuff, say some big yeses to Him, okay? And we need to say yes, not if. That kind of involves trusting God, doesn't it? Trusting that He's going to be our support network if we need it, that He'll be our paycheck that he'll be that comfort blanket if he asks us to go somewhere that might make that difficult. God asks us to do a really difficult thing, and he asks Barak to do a really hard thing. Why does he ask him to do it like that? Well, the answer is kind of interesting, actually. Obviously, God wants to bring freedom and justice to Israel, but he could do that through any, any means and through any person. Did you notice what Barak loses by his distrust? Did you notice it? Honour, yeah. Obedience often gets you some honour. And like I said, I find this, I, I don't like this. There's something in me that says no. And this is where I think sometimes you know, our cultural values often differ, don't they, to what we see in the Bible. Who here would like to get some glory? Just, just you again. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> to speak to you later. Um, who would like to get some glory but wouldn't want to admit it? Yes, me too. Absolutely. So let me make a radical, controversial statement, okay, in the UK in the 21st century. If you do something well, God wants to celebrate you. If you do something well, God wants to celebrate you. He wants to give you honour. Especially loads of people that I have this amazing privilege of working at this church. And pastoring lots of people, especially under the age of 30, they really find it hard to accept praise and encouragement. If they do something wonderful and you say, well done, they're like, "Oh, I can't. And I see it in myself, I do the same. And this is a real problem, actually, because the God of the Bible loves celebrating people who do a good job. Doesn't he? God wants to find you and say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. But we don't find it easy to accept. However, actually, we're wired to do that. We're wired to need a little celebration and affirmation from good people because it keeps us going, doesn't it? We do something well and we know we've done it well. We can keep growing. We often won't keep stepping out or keep trying hard in a job or keep trying hard at our study or our home life if we get no encouragement, no sense of that we did it well. So we have a saying in the small groups that we lead and the young people that we lead, um, which is, pin it on, hence the stickers. Can I have the little pin it on thing? There we are. If someone says something nice, if they truthfully encourage you for doing something well, stick it on. Stick it in your heart. Take it on board. Okay, there will be times when you make a mess and criticism will also need to stick because that will also help you grow and learn. But if it's truthful and it's positive, make sure it goes in. And take it with you. If you are too afraid to have any honour for yourself and, and you don't have that level of confidence that God is doing things in me and I can do this because He's gifted me and I'm growing in it, then you might do a barrack. We might do a barrack, mightn't we, and not say yes to God at a crucial time. So pin it on, but also send it up, okay? Too many Christian leaders and actually too many humans go the other way. They get lost in their own hype and their own arrogance. They don't have people around them telling them the other thing of like, that you've gone too far, or you're doing this, this is too much. We're seeing that sometimes in the news right now, really sadly. Don't do that. Whatever your work is, in church or outside it, whatever your role is, don't just take all the accolades and hold them to yourself, okay? When someone says something nice to me, and this has been something I've had to practice, rather than hiding, I do try and say thank you. Like, if someone says something nice, I'll try and say thank you, and I'll try and take it on. But then I might ask myself some questions. Did I give myself that ability? Did I? No. Did I create the opportunity where that ability got to be used and got to be seen? Did I make that happen? Did I make the universe work around that? I mean, I might have tried, but no. Did I create myself? Did I create this body that I live in? Do I keep myself breathing? Did I make the universe turn so that everything worked out this morning? No, I didn't, not at all. God is doing that. And so ultimately, the victory is God's. So that glory and that honour and that celebration, it's not supposed to be stored up so we can become arrogant. It's supposed to help us know we can be confident, but it's to be given away and sent up for God's glory. Does that make sense? It also means we have more glory to give God if we know we can celebrate when we do stuff well. So, obedience would have brought more honour to Barak, but he doesn't obey like he should. But there is some great news, okay? Even partial obedience... Still gets the victory. Let's see what happens. Verse 14, they're at the mountain with the Israelite army. There's foot soldiers and there's horsemen. They're up on Mount Tabor and they're facing an absolutely massive army with 900, well, Bronze Age tanks, essentially, is what the chariots of iron are. Now, that's what they are. They're massive. Even if you can imagine, like, facing down this huge thing made of metal, pulled by horses, coming at you really fast. You've got a stick, essentially that's what we're going with yeah I'm not I'm not I mean someone else here might be able to give you more of a historically accurate picture of that that's pretty much what it is Judges 4 14 then Deborah said to Barak go this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands has not the Lord gone ahead of you so Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him at Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Is Barak victorious? Yes. Is God's objective achieved? Yes. Is Israel saved? Yes. By Barak or by God? Both. God and Barak and his men. The Lord routed Sisera and his men, completely beat them off, got them on the run, and then Barak's warriors finished them off. If you flip forward into chapter five, where it tells a bit more of the story, it was probably a freak flood or a storm that swept those chariots away. Something happens with the river, but they know is clearly God's at work. So here's one of the things that we often see, and that's such a comfort to those of us who know that we've said lots of no's and lots of ifs. Even a partial obedience to God can still bring a fulfillment of what God wants. Okay, We do not have to be perfect to see the will of God done. We don't even have to be very good at it The New Testament even talks about Barak being a man of faith and celebrates his victory. You are never too late to be obedient and to say yes to God. Okay, your third sticker, if you're still stickering with me. If you know today and you're here that you've done so many things wrong and said so many no's to God, today is a new day. It's a new day to say yes. Every day that you walk the earth, you can decide to make a change and say yes to God. Maybe a big one, maybe a little one. Maybe you've been putting conditions on it, but today's the day to stop that. Say yes to what God is asking. Don't leave here if that's you without maybe saying that to someone you trust or asking someone to stand with you. We'd love to pray with you and help you um, get some steps towards saying and carrying out your yes. So leadership's necessary for corporate obedience and good leadership, which we're all called to as people of Jesus, comes out of that obedience. Obedience might lead to glory and honour, pin it on, Send it up, don't poo-poo it. Partial obedience, even if you can only do a bit by the grace of God, may still lead to victory because God is kinder than we are, actually much kinder, and it's never too late. Finally, last point, obedience is often about bringing justice. I told you we deal with the killing bits. This is because doing what God wants means working with him to make the world more like his kingdom. That's what God's up to you. The kingdom of God, this phrase we talk about lots at Vineyard, it's the destination of the whole world. God is going to completely remake the world, so there's no more war and sickness, no more fear or injustice or pain or death. If you've heard that we live in heaven forever, okay, it's not far wrong, it's just that it's not up there on a cloud somewhere, it's down here in a world completely remade by God. That's the promise Jesus gives us, and it's the promise we're living for if we follow him. So let's look at God's justice, the last little bit of this, Verse, um, sorry, this chapter that we're going to read. Judges 4:18. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent. She covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there? Say, no. But J. L. Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and he died." I love that it adds to and he died, like it's possible that he'd be wandering around like Frankenstein afterwards instead. We did think about having a watermelon and a tent peg up here. We thought it'd be too much. <laughs> There's lots to unpack here, there's loads going on, and I, I probably don't have time to with lots and lots of all of it. Jael does things that her culture would have deeply frowned on. To be fair, if someone did this when I came over for tea, I would frown as well. She's breaking a promise her family have made, that alliance they've made together should have been a sacred thing, and she's breaking that kind of Middle Eastern hospitality code which says you have to treat guests with honour, again. And she just murdered someone really nastily with a hammer and a tent peg. Now, we're not told that Jael directly was obeying God. There's no moment where God speaks to her and says, do you know what you should do today? It doesn't do that. However, we do know that God was involved because it was prophesied, don't we? Deborah said, Sisera is going to be given into the hands of a woman. So we know God was down with this. And also, she receives honour for what she did. That song in chapter five, the people sing about her, they sing a blessing over what she did and over her. Now, if we have a problem with the justice of God taking the form of a tent peg to the head, I suggest it's because most of us who live in this room, not all of us, some of you have come from places where you're much more aware of this than we are, or than I have been growing up. I suggest that it's because we're mostly privileged enough not to have lived under that kind of oppression that the Israelites were, or that millions of people are facing now. Okay. That actually there is a moment where You cry out for justice because people are so unjust to you. And I know for some of you here, that's your story and the story of your country. Now, last week, a couple of us got to help at St. Lawrence Junior School in Northfield. They were having a prayer week, so they had all these lovely prayer stations in the playground of a junior school. And in one of the activities, the kids got to write down some prayers, and they included these ones. I pray that Vladimir Putin die a slow and painful death. God destroy Russia because they are destroying Ukraine. Okay, That doesn't sound like very nice Christian prayers, does it? Gave us a little giggle when we were reading them off. It does sound a bit like they've been reading the Psalms. If you've ever opened that prayer book in the middle of the Bible that's written by a people who've gone through this kind of thing, you'll see some of those prayers in there. Now, I'm not saying that at the end of this church service we're all going to stand up and pray for a slow and painful death for Vladimir Putin. Because we haven't, they haven't got, they've got some of the justice, but they haven't quite got to Jesus, have they? These lovely eight-year-olds in the playground. However, we do need to be aware that God is just. He doesn't take joy in, or appreciate, or celebrate, or even sort of gently sweep under the rug the kind of oppression and killing and kidnap and exploitation and violence that people do to each other in this country, but also all around the world every day, and from which many of us actually... Have knowingly or unknowingly benefited. That's not things that God rejoices in. He is going to change that. That's what that world we're going for looks like. God's kingdom's not going to have those things in it. And actually, if we participate them, or if our culture, in our culture, we buy products or buy into companies that do that, we need to understand that we are also going to come under the judgment of God. I know that's a big thing to say. And it does affect how we live. So what do we do with that? Maybe we feel guilty, maybe we feel stirred to action. Well, if you were here a couple of weeks ago... Sorry, George, I'm going to embarrass you again. Um, You'll have heard George's story of being employed by an exploitative company and actually deciding to get a case together and defeating that company and bringing about a fair outcome for their employees. You might be called to be a leader in our culture and stand up for justice and live in a way that makes this world a bit more like the kingdom of God that's coming. But the thing is that ultimately that can't be our only answer either. We can't ever obey enough to be perfect or rescue everyone or even rescue ourselves, can we? People have tried for centuries and it's not worked. Rome, Egypt, the Incas, the Chinese, the British, powerful exploitative cultures, but also just groups of humans acting out of their hearts and out of where they come from and trying to do the best decisions they could at the time with whatever values they had. As Christians, we might feel justified wanting violent deaths for violent people. Okay? We might want to write a post-it like that. We might not show it at church, but we might feel like writing one. But we need to acknowledge that we participate in the ruin of the world as well, and that we need rescue just as much. Obedience to God can only get us so far. The perfect justice of God does require a retribution. The violence for violence isn't unjust, is just kind of scary when it's applied to all of us too. Philippians 2, 8 talks about Jesus, and it says, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Christianity is not a religion of do this and be punished, so there'll be balance, okay? That's Star Wars, and possibly Buddhism. There is a holy imbalance in how Christians believe that all works out, okay? God Himself takes all the punishment. We do all the wrong. Jesus, even though He'd never done anything wrong at all, He got His mum to believe in Him, okay? If you can get your mum to believe that you are a perfect God, you probably didn't do anything wrong, do you know what I mean? My mum? Well, no. Jesus had never done anything wrong, and yet He put Himself in the place of Sisera, lying down and having something that hammered through Him, through His flesh. God in Jesus is completely obedient, he fulfills everything required of us, and he directs that violence against himself so it doesn't fall on us. That's your fourth sticker. In the end, it's not our obedience that matters for our eternal destiny, it's God. And his obedience means that everyone, even people from the dodgy company, even the high polluter, even human traffickers and you and me, whatever we've done, and even Vladimir Putin, okay, could be saved by the gift of Jesus, the gift of himself to us. Now that might seem unjust or unfair. But if you're in the wrong, do you want justice or do you want mercy? Do you want clemency and forgiveness? The justice and mercy of God, the real God of the Bible, require our trust in him and his ways and his goodness, even when we don't understand them. So Jesus asks us to be obedient to God. He wants us to do what's right. He wants us to be good influencers. He wants us to lead in all parts of our lives really well. He wants us to trust him. Okay, He's got good things for us to do and he wants to celebrate us when we get it right. Pin it on. And he wants to get honour for himself through that total obedience, but he'll take a partial yes. He'll take an if you can help me with it. He'll take your yes tomorrow or in 10 years' time, if you won't give it now, He'll stick with you while you struggle and he'll forgive us every single day and he will deliver us and he will heal our world. That's his promise. Not because we did it well, but because he did. We're called to be a people who follow after Jesus as hard as ever we can and who when we constantly trip up or struggle, that we're the people who say, god has got me because he has and we get to do that for each other as well amen Hey, i'm just going to invite the band back up we hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful we'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings we meet in multiple locations at multiple times on sundays as well as in midweek small groups across the city more information on all of these can be found at our website BirminghamVineyard.com. thanks for listening have a great day and god bless